When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Everyone's favorite time of the year is right around the corner. It's college football season. And to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, that's America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action. And this is with $200 in free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more on any college football game. So you got to take advantage of this limited time offer right now. You heard right. DraftKings has given all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any college football game, no matter what. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boost that they are offering. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States, so it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Don't wait right now and use that promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. Again, that's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Howdy, everybody. This is Bar Down Breakdown, and we are back. Episode 128. We've got our homie, Corey Purvis from Near Mint Records on the podcast. And uh, we have a really, really fun conversation. Uh, we chat with him about his label. Uh, we chat with him about how he goes about uh, discerning what releases that he wants to do. Uh, his medium in terms of fidelity and art and all that matters to him. And of course, all of the fun stuff, like how he got into this kind of music, his love for hip hop and a bunch of other great things. So super stoked to have Corey on go check out near mint records. Uh, they're always putting up cool stuff. They just did a, uh, repress or actually a, a first actual pressing of, uh, of this Providence record. Uh, they are West coast. I think Seattle guys, uh, and you know us, we love our Seattle band. So uh, I think it's actually already sold out. So you probably missed your opportunity, but uh, knowing Corey, uh, something else will come up soon. So Near Mint Records, we're super stoked to have him on. And without further ado, we'll jump right in. So enjoy.
Bar Down Breakdown. We're in the house again. I'm not on the beach like last time. You see, you got lucky. But uh, back in the dirty room that I live in. This is episode 128, and we have with us today, uh, very, very excited, our buddy Corey. Corey is uh, the owner of Near Mint Records, a talented artist, and we're stoked to have him on. So, Corey, what's going on, man? Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Cool, man. So, yeah. where, are you, where are you joining us from? Indiana, Fort Wayne. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I think you might be our first Indiana guest that we've had on here. Yeah, that's not uh, too surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Indianonian. I don't know. I don't know what we what Indiano Indianoites. I don't know. It's Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's that's what they call them. Uh, throwing chairs across the court. This is great. So um, I'm just gonna jump right in. Uh, I'm gonna throw a, a little a little scenario your way, uh, just because you know this is something that I've thought about since I started collecting records, but. So let's just say, um, I don't know what kind of birds would drop a million dollars in your lap, but let's just say there is a bird that dropped a million dollars in your lap. And uh, that million dollars after you, you know, took care of uh, the more important things, um, a little bit left over, you could press any record, any record from any time, maybe one that hasn't been pressed, maybe one that uh, you'd love to do that you just can't seem to get your hands on, or I don't know, what would that record be? Yeah, that's a, that's a that's definitely a tough question. Um, uh, immediately, my mind goes to something on drive-through records, probably just because there's some, um, you know, stuff that hasn't been pressed on there that should be. I don't yeah. want to say a million dollars worth, but let's say, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple records I think of, but one I recently. Uh, got actually so i would say i can make a mess like nobody's business but yeah i would say that one that that's just been one that i wanted to do uh for forever so you're, you're talking the the original the the self-titled yeah yeah no that that one's killer man that's uh um and i know um i i don't i don't recall who did it but i know somebody just uh uh repressed i think gold rush it was yeah, bad timing. Uh, bad timing did it. Yeah, bad timing is another is another great label, man. I I love what they're doing. But uh, yeah, awesome. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my mine has and always will be um, "Volcano" by Gatsby's "American Dream." I still don't know why it isn't on vinyl. Um, it really I'm trying to say, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm working directly with the band on that, but um, it's not up to them exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's a another yeah. story. Because because uh, volcano was on yeah it was incredible um, it was on fearless, fearless. yep mm-hmm. fearless yeah uh, I mean I honestly I mean even though it's an unpopular opinion I, I'd even I, I'd take the self titled record I think that record was a banger too I I'd agree love to, I'd love I to have that volcano one. first but I, yeah. I, I'm going for both of of those but awesome. you know, I mean you never know. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's a it's a tough gig I mean like you know it, it's it's really funny I've uh you know. I, I started collecting records probably, I don't know, 2011, I would say 2012. Um, Mikey started before I did, uh, and he was actually one of the reasons that I started collecting. But um, Mikey started grabbing records like kind of when record collecting wasn't 
really in yet. So, um, you know, his, his collection that he's since sold off, which, which I'll let him tell you about, but I mean, you know, he was able to pick up, uh, some of those original drive-through pressings when they were sitting, you know, at FYE for like five bucks because like nobody wanted it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right around the time I started collecting too, which it, it was, there was, there was a lot of stuff being pressed in the sense that, you know, you're talking about stuff being at FYE, but, um, I mean, it's changed vastly. Like now, like everything is being pressed in, which I, which I think is really cool, but, um, there was something different back then. It, it was, it was definitely cheaper, especially in the two thousands too, which I didn't necessarily collect then, but it was really cheap then, but early 2010s, it was way more affordable. Now my collection got pretty large and I never bought a sec, uh, like a, a record off the secondary market. Like every single record that I bought was like either a first press right then or a repress that the label did again. But I never bought like from like a Discog seller or eBay or any of that stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. That's what I, yeah, I try, I try to try to be there for those drops. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's like, yeah, um, it, it wasn't really impossible yet when I was yeah. getting records. I, I know that records now sell out in minutes let alone seconds sometimes but when i when i was doing it like if 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 you knew a record was coming out that day you know you could pick it up still later in the day and and still get a copy yeah yeah that that's something else that's definitely changed that that hype where yeah. stuff will you know websites will crash now <laughs> you know if there's if it's high enough demand and enough traffic yeah i mean you know we um that happened uh infamously with uh field day doing uh the yellow card repress that happened uh was that probably six months ago at this point now Something and like uh, that. yeah yeah that's that was actually, a d- that's one who i one who i was thinking of when i said that oh, oh that yeah see there you go that was uh that was a doozy man um and i mean you know i've i've been a yellow card fan but that one wasn't really on my radar um but uh it, it is kind of wild to now have that idea of you know when a drop is coming you kind of know that like you got to be there right at drop time or else like you're probably not going to get it. Now there's some exceptions to that rule. You know, if it's a little bit on the obscure side or if it's got a, a really long run, of course, but like, um, you know, uh, enjoy the ride just did, um, a spill canvas record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was, you know, lucky enough to get one. But I mean, when I tell you that, like, I think he dropped it at like 11 AM and like 11, a clock in like two seconds, I was like, you know, on my, you know, on my phone and my computer making sure I got it and I got it, but you know, yeah, I mean, so it, I it sold like, out in like three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, but yeah. I, I, I think that's a cool thing though, because, um, you know, number one, it's, um, it's of course generating more, more buzz for, you know, musicians that, uh, like the spill canvas specifically, you know, they, that you know they they've came back and released conduit which is a fantastic record and now um you know that they finally repressed sunsets it's like putting more eyes on the band and hopefully people will be like oh my god like i love this record wonder what these guys are doing now and now all of a sudden they realize oh wow they're still a band and they just put out a record that rips so that's one of the things i love about when uh stuff gets repressed is it puts more eyes on these uh you know fantastic musicians and you know a lot of people end up getting disconnected with music, you know, like you, you grow up loving stuff and then you kind of store, you know, your taste change and you get away from it. But then, 
you know, when it comes back into your, your field of view and then you start doing a little bit of searching, you know, you realize that some of these guys are still out there creating music, which is an awesome thing. Yeah. And that, that's definitely true. I, I didn't realize that when I was starting to reissue some of these older titles and mm-hmm. not considering that a new people, like maybe a younger generation or something that wasn't around, or, you know, they were like eight when it came out or something they'll go back and they'll check it out because they want to understand what the hype's about or they just like checking stuff out. And then B, um, a lot of the people who, you know, might know them, they're going to go and stream them because they, you know, they're thinking about it. So, yeah. so like a lot of these um, artists, their stream numbers will go up if, if there's like a lot of hype around the, the reissue, which I think is pretty cool. Um, that's actually could be an incentive, I guess, uh, too, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, especially with some of the, uh, you know, like the, the newer alternative bands that are starting to pervade the, the scene, as they say, and how, you know, it's completely different. You know, when I was 17 and 18, the whole idea was, you know, the amount of people you drew to shows, the amount of CDs you were able to sell out of your car, you know, you'd bring that data to a label and the label would decide whether or not they wanted to sign you and give you money based on that. Whereas nowadays, you know, labels are willing to give you a deal based on the amount of monthly listeners you have, the amount of streams you have. Um, and I guess it kind of is like a, a loose parallel to those like early MySpace and pure volume days where, uh, you know, even mp3.com where it was easily accessible, but you know, now with all of the metrics and all of the, you know, the, the things that are accessible to artists and labels, you know, you could have never played a show. But if you have enough buzz surrounding, you know, a couple of singles that you've put out, um, you know, a, a label will you know, will sign you and, you know, pay you to to go record a record before you even, you know, step foot in the van, which I think is a is, a, is an awesome thing. Uh, it's different, you know, like yeah. it's, you know, that the whole idea of like, oh, you know, you got to pay your dues kind of deal. It's like kind of a long, a long gone idea. But yeah. yeah. I- I've, it's true. I mean, I've, I've worked with an artist like that who has amazing numbers. Uh, actually that artist is flat sound. They've never played, you know, or went on tour. I, I want to say never played a show, but I think recently they played their first show, like mm-hmm. at a neighbor's house or something at a party, you know, for instance, but they have crazy numbers and that's all just off of the internet. Yeah. And I will say though, the artists do have to engage with their fans in order to sell things like vinyl and and merch and stuff. Some of those numbers on Spotify, like don't necessarily, I mean, a lot of them don't really translate to vinyl sales, but um, I've just noticed that with some artists, like their merch actually doesn't, even though their numbers are insane, you know, they have a million monthly listeners or something. uh, Their, their vinyl might not sell versus someone with 200,000 who really engages with their fan base. And then, they, you know, sell out a, a thousand records, mm-hmm. in, you know, 60 seconds or whatever. But, you know, it, it's all uh, situational, of course. Absolutely. So, Corey, I, I kind of want to dive into the history of Near Mint because, you know, I'm sure Tom and I, if the opportunity came to us, would love to be in your position, like, because we both have just a list of records that we would love to, to press. So, you know, Obviously, it does take some some cash to start a project like this. But like, when did you decide? You know what? That the risk is worth it. I'm going to take a plunge and I'm going to press my first record. So I I started the label originally, 
in 2014. It was a partnership at the time, and it was actually just uh, cassettes, um, not vinyl. And the idea was to, um, you know, sell cassettes and then work up towards vinyl, which we did within, um, like, I think a little less than a year. So, you know, we, our, our startup money though was, was cassette. So it wasn't a lot of, you know, as much risk as vinyl, mm-hmm. um, not really even comparable, but so I, I guess you could say like, we, you know, didn't, didn't have to put a ton of, uh, you know, money on the line to, to get to the vinyl. I mean, we, we you know, we had to work for it, but, um, yeah, we started off cassettes and then, for the vinyl, um, to be honest, it was the Obsessives, Heck No Nancy. That was the first band I, I signed um, back when I was interested in actually like signing artists because more so now I'm licensing and reissuing, which is a, a different thing. But um, yeah, so the Obsessives, a uh, great band. We we were kind of risking it, uh, to be honest. Like, basically, you know, we, we might not have had enough money for the vinyl press when we put it up for pre-order or like, maybe even submitted the order we were really just like had our fingers crossed but we knew we would go into our pocket you know if we absolutely need to and and you know pay with our money but um it it worked out you know like it was our first vinyl press and i I remember people being excited you know and just supporting um just because they liked what they were seeing you know and which you know doesn't that's not gonna happened with every release by the way but you know at least that first one some people will be like okay like this is cool and you know so it it went well to where you know we didn't lose money or go broke trying Um, not to say we we didn't lose money on a handful of other releases though but yeah Yeah. um that was 2015 though yeah that that's kind of that's kind of the gamble you take now i know um one of your first releases that you guys did uh, was you you did a um, a cassette release of uh, While I Stay Secluded, which was uh, you know one of Knuckle Puck's kind of first uh, first releases. Now I, I got I got to imagine was that like that was probably what 2015. So was that like just yeah. as like the hype train for Knuckle Puck started really getting going? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we weren't the label. Bad timing, actually. Like we just talked about. Yeah, we were the label to put work with work with them and um I, I know zach um and we basically we just we we worked something out with with them in the band and honestly that that's one of the releases that went towards the obsessives to be honest oh, awesome um, yeah yeah so uh zach uh, it's zach zarillo right is that yeah yeah so um it's it's funny uh so you know long before zach was doing bad timing um i knew his name from uh, absolutepunk.net, right? So, you know, that was like, you know, which is now evolved into chorus.fm. But I mean, that was a time, man. I mean, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was on the side a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, everybody was, it was like absolute punk was, uh, you know, uh, Jason Tate and, and everything he did, which that's another guy that I would, I'd love to get on this, this podcast and pick his brain because, uh, you could probably very fairly say that like absolute punk was one of those websites that really had an an integral part in allowing this type of alternative music to get as popular as it did, you know, his website and punk news and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, looking at like a label, like bad timing, I'm like, you know, they've 
it looks like they've kind of taken the the other road. So you had just said, you know, you were signing artists. You know, I know that you had done some work with the obsessives, Marietta, who are awesome. Um, uh, you know, a couple of broken beak, I think you got, you'd worked with as well. So a bunch mm-hmm. of like really, really great bands, but so, um, when did you make the decision ultimately to say, okay, I think, you know, we're gonna stop focusing on signing artists and go down the licensing rabbit hole and repress records. Like, was there like a specific event that made you decide to change that, uh, kind of line of thinking, or was it just like, it sort of evolved into what you're doing now? Um, it was, it was a few specific events over time. Um, definitely some releases just not going the way you wanted it to, I guess. And then also, um, the, the, like when you work with a band that you've signed that's active and say touring and all this stuff, there's just way different needs than a band who, you, you know, might not even be a band anymore or, um, you know, they, they're on another label, uh, and, and they've got, and they're, and they're working with them on a, on a new album and you're just, uh, you know, putting out something else of theirs that isn't owned by the other label or something. Um, it's just, it's just way different. Like the amount of time you have to put into it and the amount of attention and it, it just be, I don't, slowly I was just realizing, um, that I just wanted to press stuff, you know, like there's certain stuff I want to put on, on vinyl. And and that was really what I wanted to do to begin with. I just, and I, and I definitely considered, you know, reissuing cause I did that with cassettes. I was reissuing cassettes for, you know, like knuckle puck. That was a reissue. Yeah. Um, so like that concept was there, but I, I don't know. We, we were just trying, trying things, but, um, uh, in, in 2017, when it became, uh, you know, just me who took over the label. Um, I, I, I was real ca- cautious about signing new artists. Then, um, I did sign a rapper, which is still on near mint today. Serious black, who I also manage. Um, that's a little different situation. I'm just, I'm highly invested in that. So that's, that's really one of the main active artists. And then I did sign taking meds, but they're actually signed to smart punk now. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't think I signed anyone since 2018 basically when i signed serious um like signed them officially i might you know i might might help out some people that you know i'm I'm really working with them directly but not you know like you know it's not serious i guess Mm -hmm. no pun intended (laughs) um (laughs) but uh you know so like i guess the actual the the reissue technically you could say it started um the end of 2019 when I decided to reissue one of my own titles, which is Marietta, but they're not a band anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, you know, I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner. Maybe I did, but I was just like, why don't I repress this? Because it sold out like, you know, a while ago. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, I took that on, but um, I- I'm going to be honest, like the reissuing the, the early 2000s stuff that I've been doing more, more lately that that came about in 2020 but like that was something that when i started the label some of the stuff that i ended up putting on vinyl already i was trying to press that back then but in 2014 though it wasn't old enough there wasn't that nostalgia factor yet and some people didn't get it and i was probably maybe ahead of my time i don't know i was Mm -hmm. trying to do a lot of the same exact stuff literally like the messages are there from the same people that messaged like you know like six or seven days later or whatever Mm -hmm. um 
So, so yeah, I, I, I always wanted to, I just really, I, I, I don't know. I just dove into it. Um, it, st- it started with danger radio, um, their 2004 EP. I, I have a really close relationship with them. I used to do some of their merch designs when I was in high school. I was a huge fan first and foremost, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. And I, I got to know them and the singer's other band and Andrew DeTorres' other band, uh, the scene aesthetic, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you might know. I remember um, that, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, knowing danger radio, just on a personal level, it, yeah. it was really easy for me to be like, I just had, I just had this like, you know, idea to press it and they, you know, they said, yeah. So I, you know, I did it and restored the artwork and everything. And then I realized it was like, I just, I don't know. I just had this vision for it. And I was like, yo, like there's a lot of stuff from this era that, you know, people would actually buy. And to be honest, I, I also feel like I know some really specific, like, uh, I guess niche titles that some people wouldn't think about, Mm -hmm. but, 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 you know, when someone sees it, they'd be like, Oh shit. And then they want to buy it. And I I mean, like you're, you're talking about me. I am that I am your target. Like I'm actually that, audience like so when you so uh, like i guess you would I'd, I'd heard about near mint but you had first come on my radar when you um uh when you did daphne so mm-hmm. i was like oh like this is rad you know like i love daphne you know they're a, a, C- a seattle band right i think yeah aren't they yeah so i mean you know i remember listening to them uh, again on either mp3.com or pure volume, you know, way back in the day. And I was like, Oh wow, this is coming out on record. Yeah. I got to have this. And then I, I don't know how much longer it was after that, but then you did Brighton and I was like, Holy crap. I, <laughs> you know, I didn't know that like anyone else liked Brighton and you know, it's King versus queen, which is like, you know, uh, again, one of those albums that reminds me of, of that era. So I scooped that up. And then of course, uh, you know, the reason that like, I, I kind of wanted to pick your brain and stuff is, you ended up doing this balance problems record, which, so, um, this is going to sound lame, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, you know, I had on a one day, I think I like might've smoked too much weed or something. And like, just like did a, like a big word pad document of like records that I'd want to press and like how I'd press them and all this stuff. And I shit you not. And if it's somewhere, I could probably dig it out, Mm -hmm. but like balance problems was like sixth on there. And not only was it on there, I was like stupid enough to be like, okay, well, not a lot of people know balance problems. So like if I had like figuratively like a $25,000 check and I was going to start doing all this stuff, I'd probably only press like 300 balance problems records because not a lot of people buy them because not a lot of people know who they are. And like, I like had this like whole actual like idea of how I wanted to do it. And then you come along and you do it. And I'm just like, this guy literally is me. Like he's just... He's just oh, going down. Like the, he's going down all of the titles. Like if I if I could find that WordPad document and send I it to you, see it. I feel probably, like there's probably a lot of good ideas based on you liking all the same stuff I do. Maybe there's some that I haven't thought of. But I have honestly, a list too of stuff, but I you know I'm <laughs> some you can't some of them you forget about and then you yeah. remember it and you're like shit that'd be perfect. Oh yeah. Or, or you know like for instance, actually I don't want to. Never mind. I was gonna give a secret, but yeah. That, <laughs> Oh, never mind. <laughs> All right. I mean, listen, uh, if, if, you know, if, if some point in this interview, you soften up and you want to reveal secrets, you are more than welcome to. No, I, I will. I'm, I, I I'm will. not going to stop you. 
Yeah, I will. But um, yeah. but yeah. So, so just um, on those three records, you know, I, I just have a little bit of a of a techie question, just because I'm um kind of interested so you know when you're grabbing these records from you know 2005 and 2006 and 2008 and stuff um when you're pressing it on vinyl uh so like whose responsibility is it to master it for vinyl like is that like part of the agreement that you have with the bands or the labels or is that something that like they have stems and they just send them along or is that something that it's actually your responsibility to do yeah that's an interesting question because of that era not only the audio but the artwork a lot of this stuff is lost to time which mm-hmm. is a whole other conversation we could go into if you want but um as far as the audio goes um i'm gonna be honest a lot of these bands don't have like really strong preferences i do though i'm like I want the waves like some of them, you know, might try to give me MP3s or send me waves that were converted from MP3s. But I actually know they were, you know, MP3s. Yeah, of course. My my best friend, uh, Matt Riefler, is an engineer. He's a genius. So Mm -hmm. he's actually the one who masters all the stuff for vinyl. And he, you know, he like lets me know what we're working with. But, um, you know, I I always try to get the, the waves. Obviously, if I can get the original mixes. Yeah. I can actually have it like properly mastered for vinyl, which yep. has happened um, with Sherwood's releases. They have all their original art and, and mm-hmm. uh, mixes and everything, which is really cool in my opinion, when someone's able to archive that for that long. Sure. But um, uh, yeah, a lot of them are just really high quality waves that are um, touched up, you know, for, for vinyl, you know, like nothing I submit is, is, you know, straight from the band. Just yeah. because there's there's just a little things you can soften up, and I, I I would just rather be safe than sorry. But to be honest, you can submit, you know, you can submit stuff without mastering it for vinyl to a plant that does direct metal mastering, and and it, you know it can sound great like without you doing anything. I'm just extra cautious, I guess, because you got music nerds like Tom that you got to worry about that like <laughs> this isn't right. this isn't mastered correctly. Yeah, people. Yeah, people will say something. <laughs> yeah, people are crazy, man. When I was selling my record collection on Discogs, it was the most stressful time of my life. Like, just trying to grade my records myself. Oh, that was near impossible. Yeah, pe- people. I feel like, especially these days, are with all the newer collectors. You know, they they freak out about you know stuff that might be normal to you know to people who've been collecting forever. So. To, there's i don't know kind of a division on what people find acceptable for just quality all around whether it be audio or physical well i I mean i guess i i real real quick just since it's the namesake of your label um and you're a collector um what every every person who collects has a different vision for what a near mint record is so in your eyes what is an actual near mint record no 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 seam splits okay sure <laughs> i hate seam splits uh no no you know no obvious bends um okay. maybe maybe because they're you know it's cardboard maybe there's a little little you know, like nick or something that yeah you know just a tiny little you know but hardly noticeable i think that that's still near mint but if it's like there's an obvious bend in the jacket it's not near mint and then of course no warping or scratches on the vinyl um 
not played very often, but you know, it can be spun a few times at least and still be near mint in my opinion. Um, but yeah, you know, like near mint is like new, you know, like really comparable, but not, you know, obviously brand new, but that's not to say my records are, are like new mine. The ones I'm selling are obviously, uh, brand new <laughs> records. Well, I guess my biggest thing was a lot of my records were brand new that literally I took out of like the plastic wrap and then put them in a dust sleeve. And, and some of them I, I never even spun. So mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, oh, you know, I'm literally taking it in the condition that I received it. And now I'm selling it like never spun anything. All I've done is like took really good care of it and put it in the correct sleeves and everything. And then. I would sell them as near mint and people would be like, Oh, like the corners bent. It's like, well, that's the way I received it. Like that's <laughs> to, to me. I, I don't know. I I'm just so happy that that phase of my life is over where I don't have to try to try to grade my own vinyl, but yeah, it was definitely uh stressful for sure. But my, my actual question for you then, because, um, you you were mentioning that you do a lot of these re-releases and I'm, I'm guessing that that requires you to do a lot of behind the scenes negotiations with labels. But, you know, one of the labels that you brought up drive through records, they don't even exist anymore. And there's a lot of labels from the early two thousands that just don't exist anymore. So like, is it hard for you to even like hunt down the right people to talk to? Um, yeah, it is. Uh, some, yeah, some of these labels, the people still exist. So someone still like the owner of the label still owns these masters in, in most cases. And it's funny you, you brought drive through. I've, I've known, um, both the, the owners of drive through Stephanie and Richard for four years. I used to do some design work for them, but, um, so I, I actually have been in contact with them as early as like two months ago. Um, but, you know, so I, I technically can, you know, get a hold of some of these people that are, you know, aren't, you know, active anymore. Um, but some of, some of them are harder to track down if I don't know them. And even if I can get a hold of them, it doesn't mean I can press their stuff, which, you know, drive through would be an example, but, um, not, not to say I'm not going to, which, um, is another story, I guess, but, um, there's some, there's been definitely some Facebook uh, stocking, you know, trying to find certain people. Um, and, and then sometimes you find them and you're trying to, you know, talk a deal out with them and, and then that, and it doesn't even work out, you know, like it's just nothing's for sure. You know, like you, mm-hmm. it's, it's really all just off, off chance. And so, yeah, you, you gotta take a lot of shots is what can, I'm trying to get. Can you at. tell us like a success story, like of, of someone that you like slid into their DMS on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, where like you, you were like, Oh, this is actually the owner of so-and-so label. Like, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and see if they have any interest in, you know, working out a deal. Like has any of that ever worked for you? I'll say with the band, which actually is, is one, one of my, so one of my, like, uh, strategies was so I, I know a lot of these bands because I you know I, I I obsessed over them when I was younger or I actually worked with them as a designer. So I, mm-hmm. I know their situations. I knew like their record deal or mm-hmm. you know lack of a record deal 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know if anyone's noticed this, but all the releases I've done so far, the bands own their masters, which okay. is kind of, I guess you could say, one of my secrets, which I wasn't going to say, but <laughs> I'll just say it, you know, people can, you know. But I feel like uh, that's got to be rare. Like I, I would imagine, especially in the it, 2000s when alternative and emo music was at its peak, like those bands I would imagine would be the last ones to own their masters. It's, it's a mixed bag. They're either the, the masters are either locked into some really shitty record deal. A lot of major label deals where they're yeah, yeah. just a random band that got signed to Atlantic or Island or whatever. And you know, it's just nothing. And no one gives a shit if you, if you want to press it on vinyl or anything. So th- there's those deals which I mean, some of them, those are obtainable too for vinyl, some, I, I guess. And then you got to remember though, MySpace era was the beginning of the internet era, which if you've noticed, a lot of these artists these days own their own masters, or if they don't, if they're signed to labels, they're, they're, they're negotiating way different deals if they're able to do things with the internet. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think MySpace is a little uncredited in, in that sense that some of these artists were using the internet and succeeding and going on tour and stuff. And they, and they might, you know, they own their own music or whatever, or never even signed to a label or they signed to a label that was really casual. Um, or one of the labels that you're talking about, which isn't even a label anymore. So in some cases, these artists, not necessarily the ones I'm working with, but some of these artists might go and, and, you know, press their, uh, older albums that technically is owned by another label, but they're not active and they just don't care. Or they ask the label and the label doesn't care, which is definitely, that's actually what happened in one of my situations where our label did own it, but they said we could press it. And then we, I, you know, the, the money went to the band instead of the label. Now, had, didn't what happened a lot in, in, you know, the, I guess the 2010s or whatever, when some of those labels started to drop off, then didn't some like major labels start buying them and and even though they like didn't put out any other music they just like bought them up like i'm pretty sure the labels yeah and like all of their um, masters and stuff yeah definitely that happened with, with some uh a handful actually like you know Phil by ramen is owned by atlantic which is owned by warner for instance um uh i would use drive through as an example but that that's kind of different. And that's actually a really like kind of complicated story that I think is mistold a lot. Um, but you know, their, their own, uh, you know, th- that's the same concept though. They, they were, in my opinion, they were the beginning of that. Um, the inspiration of that, uh, you know, of, you know, of a bigger label buying a smaller label, but um, you know, also through this licensing stuff, I've learned um, Concord, which I'm sure is owned by someone you know, Warner probably, uh, Concord owns fearless. fearless yeah. Uh, yeah. Back catalog, or at least maybe all of it, but at least the back catalog, like they're in active titles. So that's, that's a newer deal too, but it's the same concept of what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, this is all like, so, so very interesting to me because of all of like the, the stuff that goes on in the back end to, to get this done. So like, you know, um, 
just like in perusing, just because we've been talking about drive through, just in like perusing drive throughs catalog. Um, <clears throat> so like uh, using as an example, uh, let it unfold you right by census fail. So yeah, like that was a, a drive through that a drive through release. Yeah. But then at some point, I guess um, vagrant picked up the rights to it and then vagrant, pressed it right because like yeah there's two different versions of the album actually two different recorded versions really that i did not know wow yeah Yeah. now now is that something that like i guess is that something like a band can do like let's just say um a band has their original recordings held up in like a situation where like taylor swift like or like yeah like something where like you know a, a label owns their music and the band can't do enough with it so they re-record it and then like see i guess maybe i just don't understand how that works like like is uh, it like does a label own like like it d- deal wise would a label own the music itself or just like yeah. a recorded entity of the music yeah it's 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 that version i i used to wonder how that that worked too i i mm-hmm. assumed it would be like any form of the song a live version or whatever yep. but um obviously we've seen you know census fail um that it's funny you brought that up yeah they recorded the ep yeah, um, yeah they did that's on drive through mm-hmm. and put it out on uh pure noise i believe pure noise yeah and you know it's the same songs re-recorded very i mean it's pretty similar it's actually pretty good i thought i would hate it just because it's like <laughs> you know like that was 18 years ago or whatever you know yeah uh, and you know, it's like very, you know, a whiny record and the singer's probably 40 now, but yep. it's actually really good. Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely 40. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I, I when I listened to it, I went in with the same expectations. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to try to listen to 187 like reimagined because like the whole thing about 187 was like, you know, buddy belting these and whining them out. And now obviously 15 years later, now that he's essentially learned to sing and learned, you know, how to, how to preserve his voice, you know, listening to him go through this music is kind of, kind of interesting, but like, so I guess, um, you know, to kind of just pull it back a little bit, uh, and, and we'll definitely, uh, you know, I, I definitely have a couple more questions about, uh, you know, um, near mint and what is gonna, you know, what you're doing in the future, but so I, I kind of want to like go back like before near mint and before like, you know, any of this stuff started, like what got you into alternative music? Like, you know, was there a, a specific band or a, you know, specific memory that you have that you can kind of pinpoint when you really started obsessing about this kind of music? I alternative music. Um, I would assume you mean kind of like underground or not, not just stylistically, you know, like genre wise, but you, I guess, you know, like independent too, I guess. Correct. Yeah. Not, not specifically alternative music, but yeah, like independent music. Yeah. Um, like not correct. Limp biscuit. Yeah. 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 Or, um, or, Limp, or Limp Biscuit. Yeah. That'd work too. Um, <laughs> so probably, I think I was in seventh grade. I remember I, I was hanging out at a friend's house and he showed me uh, Coheed and Cambria second stage turbine blade and I, i've heard you know like at this point in my life the coolest band i probably heard or one you know it was like you know, something like blink 182 or something you know as far as you know it was very accessible music that i've been introduced to for the most part i i knew some punk stuff because of some people i grew up with some 
you know, unsigned, you know, like just gritty punk, like the punkorama comps and stuff. When I was like really young, I heard that stuff in like elementary, but I didn't really gravitate towards it necessarily. But um, yeah, I think the first exposure would have been Coheed and Cambria. And my friend would just show me um, different, you know, all sorts of music for how young we were. Honestly, I, I think a back on that a lot like the sort of stuff that i he you know knew back then like um you know bright eyes and this is again this is all before i was in high school this is in like middle school um mm-hmm. and some of these some some people some other people were showing me music too like i thought it was really impre- like thinking back it's really impressive with the internet that the internet not being as common mm-hmm. back then or you know as like widely used for music I remember seeing um, or someone showing me like the Rocket Summer, uh, the early November, Death Cab for Cutie, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then eventually with MySpace and Pure Volume, um, you know, I kind of dug in on my on my own and started to find, you know, my own, you know, stuff that I like. I remember being gravitated a lot towards uh, like high pitched vocals. uh, Okay. Similar to, you know, Coheed and Cambria, really, mm-hmm. which is probably, you know, that's why I liked it probably in the first place. It's really unique. Um, that's why I like Danger Radio and the scene aesthetic a lot. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot you can name from back in that era, I guess. But that was definitely one of the things that, like, I, I remember getting into, like, really early, like, for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, I still like some of it now. It depends. But... But yeah, um, MySpace and Pure Volume has a lot to do with the, uh, you know, me finding a, the the wider range and even deeper, you know, deeper cuts of bands, you know, yeah. like Balance Problems, for instance, that'd be, sure. you know, that's yeah. definitely, you had to have the, if the, my, if the internet didn't exist, no one would have bought the vinyl, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and and that's like, that was my, you know, my freshman sophomore and junior years of high school i mean all i would do um i mean like i was and and mikey can vouch for me like i was that kid in high school that like had the depth in terms of like the music i listened to like there were a lot of people that loved like you know punk and emo and alternative and stuff but like i came through with bands like nobody had ever heard of and the re and the way that i would do it um was i would go to a band that i liked on mp3.com and then i would just look at what label they were on. And then I would just go to the labels website and check out all the bands on that label. And then, um, you know, through mp3.com, like it would like give you suggested artists and I would just dive and dive and dive and dive. And like, that's how I found out about bands like that. Like that's how I found out about a Gatsby's American dream. That's how I found out about, um, your, you know, ecstatic lullabies and like, uh, you know, um, you know, like Branson and, uh, you know, like, uh, the, the rocket summer or like a lot of the bands that were on like the militia group or like those, yeah. those labels that were like kind of niche labels. Um, and then you, I just kind of dove deep into it, you know? And, and, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons that like I collect so, so deeply and so heavily is because, you know, like a record, like, um, like, like the balance problems record, for instance, like I, you know, that's one of the records that like I had, um, you know, such like a low fidelity version of, like, I think like still to this day on my computer, like, I think like it's like 128 
like kilobit per second, like MP3s that I have of it, because when I was able to get it so long ago, like that was like what you had to get because like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, in 2008, we only had like, you know, 50 gig hard drives or whatever. So you had to have this yeah. like truncated, really condensed music. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I jumped on it so quickly. It's like, Oh my God, I'm going to actually be able to get to listen to this record with like some, some actual decent fidelity. Um, yeah. And that record is so complex and so deep and it has so much going on. Like I'm, I'm really stoked to hear it. Um, but so on that kind of on that note, um, you know, when you were, I know you said it was like 2010, 2011 when you started kind of getting into record collecting. Um, yeah. Were you, were you like aware, uh, you know, when you kind of like first started getting into music that like vinyl was even like a medium that was around for like newer bands because, you know, drive through when they were originally doing those first presses that are like almost impossible to find. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, com- they were coming out like around that time. Like I think, um, you know, notoriously, when the albums came out yeah they came out the albums came out like you know like yeah. I, I was gonna say like notoriously like that newfound glory self-titled record that like you know all the picture discs that sound like absolute like horrendous like <laughs> like poopy duty but like they're worth hundreds of dollars now because of how limited they were so was that on your radar at all like when you were younger yeah so i i definitely you know throughout the 2000s i i saw you know, vinyl records being pressed sometimes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't very often though. And I knew then that it was very, uh, you know, cl- like specific collector base, like way more than that. It, it, it's yeah. still collector base now, but like, sure. Very, I just, I just knew I was like, wow, like there, there's actually people out there who uh, would buy this on vinyl, but I never thought anything past that. I, I remember seeing records at hot topic sometimes in the two thousands too. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah specifically i remember seeing afi seeing the sorrow which i wish i would have bought because it's so rare now and then mm-hmm. uh m&m marshall mathers lp which i love the album i always thought it was I, I remember thinking it was really cool to see it you know like that the artwork that big but again i, I didn't really think anything past that and i through you know me ordering merch online throughout the 2000s there was a couple times when i i, I was sent um seven inches with like a you know something i pre-ordered or something oh that's cool yeah and i i you know i didn't collect vinyl i didn't have a record player you know i was in high school this is probably like between 2007 and 2010 you know like somewhere around there um so it was like it it was really random you know for me to have a seven inch but again so i i just knew it existed but i didn't even you know i i thought i guess it was really random then but i you know when i get the seven inch i would just think you know that it was a cool promo item that was really unique that, you know, I didn't realize maybe how much final was being pressed at the time, even though yeah. it's again, not comparable to now, but mm-hmm. it's going on a little bit more than I realized, but you know, nothing crazy. But what made me actually get into collecting was going to a real record store that had current releases. And, you know, I saw a bunch of titles that I knew on the wall and, uh, you know, a lot of bands that I liked on vinyl and it was, I thought that was really cool. And yeah. I, I, I bought a bright eyes record. Um, I was on vacation. So it was like annoying cause I had to carry it around me like and fly mm-hmm. home with it. And I was like trying to keep it in good condition being, I, I guess in retrospect, just mm-hmm. being a collector and being super obsessive about that yeah. sort of stuff. But 
you know, I thought that was cool as hell to, to see, you know, all these bright eyes albums on vinyl, not yep. just one, but just all these titles and yeah, the discography, right. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things that I, I cannot stand, uh, but sometimes it's really the only way you could do it because of, uh, you know, like limited editions and like tour presses and stuff is like buying a vinyl record at a show because it's like, like I, you know, I, I obsess about trying to keep my, my collection like in, in as good a, a condition as I can. And it's like, you buy a vinyl at a show and like, you know, that, you know, especially the way shows were, you know, pre pandemic where it was just sardines and, you yeah. know, you never know who's bumping up against you and, you know, this, the, you know, the record potentially getting damaged or anything, or even just having to hold it the whole show, you know, like you, you kind of go in and you're like, okay, like I got to buy some merch. So like you hit the merch tables first and then you end up saying, Oh, cool. You know, this, this band's got a, you know, a, a limited release out of 300 that's only on tour. Let me buy it. And now you're sitting there with a record, you know, like taped to your side for like yeah. a, a four hour show. And it's just like, you know, there's no way that like that record is like, you get home and you're like, Oh, sick. It's uh, I've got a, a corner ding now. Awesome. So yeah. it's like, I, that's one of the things that like, I always wish there was like a better way you know my, like my method was always if possible I, I would i'm literally the guy that would I, I i would go and i would hit the merch table first if i'm trying to buy vinyl yeah and then i would take the the record back to my car okay and, there you go and just put it i would you know i would just make the trip because it was worth it or if it was some record where i didn't really care about it you know like as much i would wait till i left you know or yeah. or or you know close to leaving and you know, but if it's something important, I would, you know, I would, I would make a trip to the car. That's a, that's a scary thing to do though in Florida, because like, you know, I don't know, man, leaving, leaving a vinyl in a, in a car that could get up to like a buck 10, a buck 20. It's like, you're going to have vinyl soup and then you're going to have to end up uh, going on like the message boards and being like, Oh, my vinyl warped. What's the best way to flatten it out? And people are going to be like, yeah, just throw it in the oven, man. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> true. I, I didn't consider the heat. Oh, I mean, during the day, of course, even here would be that bad, but yeah, that's true. But you know, in the winter for one doesn't matter really. Yep, then, yeah. Of course. Um, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm thinking at night usually, so mm -hmm. it's like, it's a lot cooled down mm -hmm. and, but, but I do consider the heat though. Like I'm, you know, if I, for instance, when I go and pick up my mail, um, and I'm driving around vinyl, like I make yeah. sure to, to not, you know, just leave the car parked somewhere. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I got, like I got to get it home or take or like literally, like if I'm gonna be somewhere, I take my my records that are still in their, you know, the the mailers that came in. I'll just take them in to wherever I'm going. Yeah, and, and I just explain why <laughs> <laughs> why why I have this big big piece of cardboard. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely some nerdy vinyl stuff, but to talk oh. about that, but it, it's it actually happens in my regular life. <laughs> Corey, I, I want to ask real quick uh, before Tom just asks a, a million more nerdy vinyl questions. Um, Rude. You know, I, I guess, you know, as a businessman, right? <laughs> like, you know, on one hand, you're super passionate about music and you're super passionate about, like, you know, putting out bands that you loved from, you know, your heyday, right? But then you might have, a band or even an artist that you might not have been a fan of, or maybe you don't even like their music, but you're like, man, I think that this will sell. Like, do you ever have that situation or do you just say, you know what, if my heart's not in it, I'm not going to 
put that release out? I, I have that situation in the sense that I recognize things that I could sell, but I usually don't give into it. Um, I, I, I mean, I have to like it. That's really what it comes down to. I, I'm really, I mean, I take that, I take it very seriously. Um, and there, there's something I mean, there's a, there's a really something right now that I'm kind of discussing licensing, but I've been on the fence of releasing it myself just because like, I like it, but I don't like it as much as I used to back in the day. I realized, but I know it would sell. I do know that is, that is definitely a part of it. I know it's so, but I don't, I'm not proud. Like, I'm, I don't know if I don't think I'm going to do it as I'm saying it right now. <laughs> I'm not very proud. You know, I'm not like super, you know, like, you know, I, I, yeah. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. I, I definitely have to be in, into it and it has to hold up, which to mention I, the releases that I'm, I have done from that era, um, I feel like are ones that really did stand the test of time. Um, and not all of them did. And I might release some that I don't think didn't, I still like it and I don't care because other people are going to like it. But, uh, I do, I do think the ones I have done are most of them are a good example of, of, of that though. Um, but not to mention though, I do, I work, I, I do hip hop stuff and I don't do reissues. I mean, I do reissues of that, but not, it's more modern, you know, stuff. I'm, I'm just really into uh, some some current stuff that's happening right now. Um, and, and the same definitely goes for that though. Like with, when it comes to rap or hip hop, like I'm really picky and I have to, I would really have to like it for me to put it on vinyl because some of that stuff, the rap and hip hop stuff, which sells like crazy. And I know some other stuff I could do that could make me a ton of money, but like, I, I just have to be a fan of it and be, and stand behind it. And you know, I, it just, it affects me personally, how I feel about it. You know, it's something I, I, I take pride in, I guess. Let me ask part B of the question then. What about a release that you absolutely love? And this is like your band that like when you showed your other friends and they had no idea who this band was, or they were like, listen to it and like, eh, I don't really like this band, but that, that was your band that you just absolutely loved. And you just are like, you know what? This probably won't sell well, but I'm doing it just because I want it on vinyl. Like, has that ever come up? Hell yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you I've still do it? I've done that. Because um, I feel like that's why Tom would be a very bad label executive because he'll just put out all this crazy music and it just only would be like him and 10 other guys that really love that band. And then... Like you, you, gotta, so. you, you definitely got to be careful. Like, you yeah. can't... There are some where I'm like, you know, like there's absolutely no reason it should be pressed on vinyl. There's some that are, are are riskier. We keep talking about balance problems because it's very specific. It's not not the biggest title, but those who know it love it. I chose that one knowing that, and I and I I went into it knowing I was potentially not going to make my money back. However, I did start a near mint subscription, like as a little trial run for three titles. And I did include that in there partially because of that reason, but I also knew that if people listened to it, they would like it a lot. So it was, you know, a, a twofer, but I did want to minimize that risk factor a little bit um, because that releases, like I said, really specific, but there's other, there's other things that I've shown people that, I mean, regardless of, 
they they know it or not there's some things that i still know it would sell though you know even though they don't know it like they're they don't necessarily understand it um uh stove god cooks that would be one an example that's a rapper uh that just my friends didn't get it like they because they 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 might listen to rap you know like i, I have a few friends who got it especially serious black because he's the one who showed me him but mm-hmm. a lot of my um for i was showing a lot of people that listen to rap too that i thought would be really excited about it and a lot of people didn't get it they might get it now but some of them probably still don't get it but in the hip-hop world like he's everyone is about that shit like at like people you know he's he's one of the you know i i would say he's one of the biggest like up-and-comers from that griselda records type world um and just hip-hop in general like real hip-hop um that people are actually into he, he you know he that album was on so many like top 10 lists by you know big you know platforms and people you know like title mm-hmm. records and their employees and just people in and you know the rap industry um so like he, he's he's like a rapper's rapper still, but he's he's definitely blowing up. And to be honest, that's the biggest release I've ever done on vinyl. The one I, I just put his up last month, and statistically, yeah, that's my biggest release. Wow! Like, and and that's the cool thing about it is like you know, if you if you never take the chance, you know, like you're you're never really gonna know what's what's gonna happen. But I mean, like it's funny. So like I could see it you know, like all I have to do is like, look at, look at your store, which is kind of interesting. So like, you know, I, you know, when, when you put Daphne out, I like was like, okay, I got to jump on this immediately because I feel like it's one of those titles that's going to sell out quick. And I mean, I, I, you know, I know the first press sold out pretty quickly and now I think you've still got some hanging on on the, on the second press left. But I mean, that one went pretty quick when you did Brighton, I kind of figured in my own brain, like, ah, oh, maybe not a lot of people know about Brighton. So like, maybe I can wait on it. And I did, I think I waited a day on it, but I ended up buying it. And now I see that it's out of stock. So, you know, you've, you've breezed through it. Balance problems. I was super worried about only because you were doing such a small run of it. And I was like, I don't really know how, what people think about this guy. So I'm just going to assume like, I'm just going to buy it as soon as it is available. Just, just cause I don't want to, I don't want to chance it. Um, but I think it's really interesting because, you know, that that's one of those things that like, you know, I I've heard about people who, you know, take a chance on something and they don't really do a lot of research or, or I shouldn't say they don't do a lot of research because that, that, that would be kind of inflammatory to say, but it's more like, you know, you, you press 500 or something and then you're sitting on 350 copies of vinyl forever you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess that's a, that's unfortunately a, ri- a risk that you take, but like, do you, I, I guess the, the question I, I I would love to ask is like, as far as like research uh, into like titles, when you choose a title that you're going to press, like m- maybe not necessarily like you don't have to reveal what like the next one in this vein you're going to do is, but like for the next one you're going to do, like, did you do research? Did you ask around just to like get a gauge of interest? Or is it just one of those things that it's like, I want to do it, I'm going to do it, and we'll see how it, how it goes? Uh, kind of. So every, every title, I'm, I'm really doing the gauging myself. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I've never asked a band how many records or CDs they sold of that title or looked okay. it up. 
mm-hmm. or you know, I just kind of feel it out like based on. I mean, I definitely look at Spotify listeners. Okay, that that, that does and in stream you know stream numbers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That does give you an, an idea of like who's currently you know like in twenty twenty one who's listening to this band. But as I mentioned earlier, that doesn't translate to vinyl sales like you know completely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very small fraction, but. Um, I definitely, you know, I take, I take a chance. I mean, there's, there's kind of, there's a minimum you have to press on vinyl, you know, so, yeah, of course. so 300 might, or, you know, 250, you can do in some cases or less. It just depends. But with my plant, it makes sense to do 300. Mm-hmm. It's actually cheaper to do 300 than 250, ironically. Yeah. Just because there's a weird price break at 300. So <laughs> anyway, 300, that's the minimum, you yeah. know, um, balance problems, you know, I did try to press 250. That's how I found out about the 300. But mm-hmm. the price, but um, I mean that is actually because I did it in the subscription and um, the pre-sales. I was a little nervous about it, but uh, you know, I accepted that going into it. You know, but I knew what it was. But it's actually sold better than I expected. Um, I, I probably have like there's around a hundred copies left. Okay, um, which isn't you know a lot to be sitting on. You know, versus yeah. I had titles back in the day. You know, and they weren't reissues. Bands I you know put through the studio and stuff yeah and mm-hmm. some of those releases like i just put press way too many and i had i was sitting on way too many um fortunately i recently got re- rid of all my dead stock and it was the best thing i've ever done <laughs> but <laughs> that, what do you tell us about that process because i'm curious because you know I, my record collection it, it was never as large as tom's but you know, when you're dealing with hundreds of records, that takes up a lot of space. Like, and it, when you're dealing with a, a label where you have a bunch of releases going at once, like a lot of that, you know, a lot of the record, those records that don't sell, like, did you have to get a storage unit for them? Or like, are they taking over your apartment or your house? Like, and then so, how do you end up unloaded them? Yeah. So, so I have, I've had different phases with this label. The current one being like this year is a whole new thing for me. Um, but with, so the older titles originally, you know, I had, them. I have, I still have some, they're, they're out, they're throughout my house. Like I have a really big closet. That's the main spot where a lot of the old ones that just weren't selling, you know, where I had way too many, they were just like stuffed towards the back. And then, you know, the more relevant ones, which I might need here and there, you know, were, were more accessible. And then, other places throughout the house um, that made sense that were awkward, you know, like where no one could see. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I would have little, you know, I have a, a couple little like closets and stuff where I put other titles, but in my own, those are ones that are, are, you know, still like more likely to sell than the others. So they're not, you know, stuffed in this big closet. But um, so, yeah, it definitely takes up space. The fact that I'm using different closets, but it's not like, it's not horrible. It, it, I mean, it can get out of hand for sure. It just depends what you're doing. Now that I've gotten rid of those older titles, which uh, one way, by the way, to get rid of them is just giving them away with orders for free. Um, (laughs) There's also people who will uh, buy dead stock in some cases, if they're interested in it. Um, There's a, actually there's a vinyl subscription company called uh, vinyl VNYL. They'll buy, um, well not just dead stock they'll just buy stock in general or dead stock it just depends they have to want it though it's it's a spotify 
curated based subscription or something like that. So they like listen to certain titles and then they decide like this would go well with this and they'll take X amount of copies. So Mm -hmm. um, some of my, you know, DIY label friends have gotten rid of their dead stock through that way, which is um, what I do as well. Uh, You know, you might not even be, you know, you might be making less money than you spend on them too, but it is nice to get rid of them for sure. Especially when, you know, they're not, they're not going anywhere, you know, you're not getting, you know, it's just when, when I was doing it, I was like, at once I pulled them out and I realized how much space it took up, I was like, I'm getting rid of these no matter what at this point, like, like knowing what it was like for them to be gone. But to, to talk about like the current situation, I will say like, so I've been talking to a, um, you know, a storage merch situation. Um, I don't necessarily have to do that and i'm and i'm not going to yet i'm, I'm still waiting and trying to figure out what's happening because most of my releases this year have sold out or close to sold out you know like mm-hmm. the authority to where it's like there's a, like for instance balance problem there's a hundred left it's like it's yeah. not a, a burden necessarily and mm-hmm. if i keep doing these titles the, a lot of these will continue to move because people will you know, they'll check it out. And they're like, Oh, I remember this, this and that. And they'll pick up these other things. So, you know, I, I like to think that a lot of these titles, you know, the fact that they're mostly selling out means people wanted it. So it's just a matter of sure. people finding it versus the mm-hmm. other ones that have been there for years. Yep. So, yep. so yeah. So like basically like really my process lately, in some cases, some of my rec- the records are sold out before they get here. So I don't ever have to store them. I just have them sitting in my living room uh, as I ship them out, which actually my local record store does all my mail order now. So I have, we have a little like process worked out, but they do still sit in my living room while they're, while they're doing that. But, um, yeah, so I, yeah, I don't know. It it can be annoying having them even sitting in my living room, even though they're sold, but I guess I'm not, you know, I'm not mad at them because they're sold. (laughs) I'm like, you know, like it's, it's just, it's just how it's going for now. I'm trying, I'm trying to decide what I want to do in regards to that. Cool. Now, I I guess I kind of asked this question before, but I just need a little more clarity. So like you built up some capital doing some of these cassettes and then you had your first release. Like, so let's say that there's someone listening right now. That's like, you know what? Maybe down the road, I want to start my own independent label. Like how, how much risk, and capital do you need to like in reality create a record label these days um it, well that, not to be complicated but that is a loaded question in the sense of a, a record label means a lot of different things to different people and what they want to do in the same sense that when i started out a i was only doing cassettes so that to me was a record label, even though it's cassettes, which are affordable. And then B, I was also trying to sign bands and I was paying for their yeah. studio and their artwork mm-hmm. and uh, PR, you know, and then vinyl too, you know, like, so it's not just vinyl at that point. And vinyl itself is very expensive. So really, it, and, then, and then the other route, which is really my lane lately, which is just reissuing titles, which sometimes can require licensing money up front. Uh, and then vinyl or, you know, vinyl cost, or, um, you know, you have to, it's, it it could be hard to, um, I'm not trying to sound discouraging, but it could be hard to, to, to convince a band when you've never had a label before 
to let them press your stuff. So you kind of like, you got to figure out a way to do something within your means. You got to get clever. That's really, that's yeah. the thing. You got to get clever to, to do something within your means to get started, to have something to, to hopefully keep rolling. Um, with me signing bands, my strategy with that, my best friend's an engineer. So I was actually offering them a really high quality engineer for really cheap. You know, I was paying for it, but you know, like their recoup would be really cheap. So it'd be good for everyone. The only catch is, uh, the only way I could get a deal that good is if they came and recorded with them, which mm-hmm. wasn't like a trick or anything. I gave them the options. Like I had this much to budget. Um, we could make it go a lot farther if we did this. And sometimes, you know, they, they did their own thing, but, um, we, you know, I, we got, a, you know, a really big bang for our buck when we used my friend to record it. And then, uh, you know, I did the artwork in some cases because I do that. And, you know, and again, I wouldn't ever make a band I'm working with use me for artwork. Sometimes they would ask me to, and, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, I'd, at least I would offer it because sometimes, you know, like the obsessives, they were in high school when I signed them. I mean, granted I was fresh out of college, so I wasn't that old either. But they were, they were, it was their senior year of high school. So they, they didn't, they weren't even going to be a band anymore, to be honest. They were, you know, they were just going to go to college. Um, so they didn't, you know, they need a lot of guidance, you know, cause they were just kind of messing around, I guess. But, um, you know, so like at first, obviously now they, they've done a lot of things on their own and are extremely creative. But at first we gave them that kind of, uh, situation just because it was, affordable and we thought we could you know turn a a little into a lot i guess so that's really my 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 advice for someone who's like trying to start a label whether regardless no matter what they're really doing i guess it's just uh uh yeah just being clever with your money and cutting corners but don't cut not in like a quality way i guess Mm -hmm. uh like don't ever cut corners on quality because it's not going to get you anywhere (laughs) Absolutely. No, and, and I, I agree with that. I think that that's, um, that's a really, really important thing to do. And I mean, like, like I said, you know, it, it's, it's tough because like, you know, as we're, we're having this conversation, it's just like, you know, it, it, it like stokes a fire in me because this is something that I would absolutely love to do, but you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it's, it's all about taking a calculated risk and, you know, deciding if it, if it works for you, a, and then B, of course, making sure that you're, you know, making the right contribution and, you know, doing the right thing for this music that you've, you've loved. Um, so, but yeah, man, I, I, I'm totally stoked that we got a chance to talk with you. I mean, we've been chatting for just a little bit over an hour. Um, so, um, I, I I will tell you something, um, and I guess I should probably just share it on air because I did find, um, the list of records that I would have, uh, <laughs> I would have pressed. So, um, I guess we could, we could take, oh yeah, I'm going to say them right to you. Uh, and then if there's, there. and if there's any that you want to like, like just steal from me, uh, and, and press, please press them because <laughs> I will buy them from you. I promise. And then, so this is an old list. So a couple of them have actually already been done. Uh, I think I made this list like 2012, maybe. Um, so some of them, like, as I'm looking through the list, it's like 20 records, but some of them have already been done, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna shoot them off. So, um, I hope you're ready, Mikey, to listen to to edit this all out. I hate you. (laughs) That is, that's really mean. You're a mean person. All right. So 
I'm just going to shoot them off. Uh, we talked about it. We talked about it already, but uh, so first one is, um, it was Gatsby's American dream volcano. Uh, second one I got is um, uh, testing superstition by the June spirit. I don't know if you remember that one. That was a good one. Um, next one is this band called Jetty. Uh, they were on eyeball records. They had this record called kites for charity, which is one of, still one of my favorite records of all time. So this was like, like records that I didn't think of impressed that I should have impressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, jungle city twitch by the strider, which desperately needs a press. Cause I love that record. Um, this is who you are by the beautiful mistake. Definitely needs a pressing. Um, this, another band on eyeball records called kiss kiss. I had a record called the meek shall inherit what's left. Great records. Um, Balance Problems, Morning Sun, which, hey, it's here. Awesome. Uh, Scatter the Ashes, which was a band that was on Epitaph. They had a record called Devout the Morning Hymn, uh, the Modern Hymn, rather. Incredible record. Um, a Static Lullaby and Don't Forget to Breathe, which I think someone will eventually put that out. Yeah. I, I feel like someone will. Uh, this, band, about that one. <laughs> uh, this band uh, called Inkwell, uh, who uh, were, I think, yeah. you know about Inkwell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, these stars are monsters desperately need that on record. Um, a types by hopes fall, which ended up coming out on record. I think, uh, equal vision did a types and, uh, magnetic North, uh, merit by the progress, which, um, Evan ended up putting out, which is a criminally underrated record, uh, self-titled boys night out record needs a pressing. Don't know where it is. Hopefully it comes, uh, um, how the lonely keep by terminal incredible record. That's a good one gotta gotta come out at some point uh too bad you're beautiful by from autumn to ashes that's just long island and me coming out mm-hmm. um i put down uh believe in what we tell you by the sleeping but uh i don't know if that one's ever going to come out but they did do questions and answers which i ended up getting a copy of i had to buy it from germany so fun um another intervention by down to earth approach i don't know if you remember them they were a uh, vagrant band mm-hmm. um the bell and the hammer by this day and age, which has got to get pressed at some point. Yeah. Um, uh, one false swoop. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're naming all these 111. Give me anxiety. <laughs> and uh, and um, the and the last one on the list was uh, this uh, this band called Life in Your Way, which were just an incredible post hardcore band. They had a record called Waking Giants that I would love to see on record. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if uh, any of those seem delicious to you, by all means, take them. And uh, if they come out, I'm going to buy them from you. I promise you. So Definitely. Yeah, there's some, there's a few good ones on there. Um, any of the ones you named that I thought were good, I've, I've already discussed about. None of them were necessarily – well, some of them were turned away, but not all of them necessarily. Um, but yeah, Can we talk about 111 cool. Records? Because that's one of those labels that I was yeah, talking yeah, about. I, 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 I know the owner. Um, Brad, are you guys familiar with that situation? Yeah, like LFO, Brad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. What one eleven? They're one of those when we were talking about like a label where you just check out a roster. They were yeah. one of those labels where I would just check out everything they did because everything they did was awesome. You know, the Spill so Canvas Rookie of the Year. Uh, well, Rory, do you remember that? Rory was great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know what, uh, very, very little known, uh, a, a solo artist that I found out about through one eleven. is this guy, Kiernan McMullen, who, um, is awesome. He's so awesome. I think he's, uh, I want to say he's English. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but he's put out a bunch of records. 
Um, but the perfect people are boring was the first one that I'd found out. And that was actually the CD was put out on one eleven, and he's gone on to do some cool things, but yeah, I mean, who else was on uh, 111? Uh, Rookie of the Year, uh, 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 Kindo. The first couple of Kindo records. Yeah, were, oh, yeah. Were on there was that. like an all girl rock band too, like all Jankster, Jank, like something like that. Uh, yeah, um, that sounds right. In this uh, day and age, which you also said, this day and age, yeah. were on there. And then um, uh, who else was on there? Uh, yeah, th- so th- this day and age, obviously the. First two spill canvas records, and then yeah, most of the artists on there have multiple good records. So it was like a little bit yeah. bigger than one LP, you know, like all those artists we just named. Mm-hmm. I liked all their stuff, really. Yeah. Did you mention Rookie of the Year too? Yeah, I said you did. Said yeah, Rookie of the Year was another yeah. good one. But yeah. like for me, yeah, like One Eleven Records, Militia Group, like those were the yeah, records. Militia Group's that, one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, Oakland uh, Cartel, Cartel, yeah, Rufio was on uh, Militia Group. Uh, a couple of other great bands are on the Militia Group, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, I just um, it, it's it's just so funny to me that like our br- like our brain wavelengths have definitely like crossed multiple times. But uh, if there's any one out of that list that I gave you that like I am dying for, it's that Terminal record, man, uh, and that is the like the of all of the bands that are playing furnace fest in September, um, Mm -hmm. of which I'm, I'm not going to be able to go and I'm really bummed about it. It was like, I feel like the music festival that was curated for me, but, uh, of all the bands that I'm not going to be able to see terminal is the one that breaks my heart the most, because like, I can't tell you how many times I listened to that record and I can't think of what, uh, his band was called before they became terminal, but, uh, the goodbye something. I don't goodbye remember. Tomorrow. Goodbye tomorrow. I'm a huge yeah. fan of them, by the way. Yeah. I, their original singer, by the way, not term before the singer from Terminal. Before term, yeah. Travis Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, which is someone he likes my shit on Facebook sometimes. So like maybe I could do something. But the catch with Terminal, uh, that album and Goodbye Tomorrow's yeah. last release. Um actually actually different situation. Sorry, but the terminal album is owned by Capital Christian, which oh, okay. basically means um tooth and nail will probably be the only one to press it if, if it's going to be pressed if it's going to be pressed and i mean i know tooth and nail is tooth and nail has been kind of digging into their archives and doing some cool stuff which has been great but i just feel like i don't know if enough people really like terminal or remember terminal for tooth and nail to like do something yeah but that's I mean, a good the- idea though i might look into that it, i'm just saying it, it there's a lot like those are ones that i know i usually can't touch yeah. Uh, just because I've asked about it already. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand the situation over there. Yeah. On original vinyl, though, uh, Jason's doing a great job with those reissues. Like, he, they basically handle all of the tooth and nail reissues now. Oh, do they? Oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah. Like, at least on, like, you got packaged in front, you know, or, you know, okay. the majority of them. And yeah. sometimes helping with, you know, licensing and stuff. They do a lot of stuff. They're really cool. Very cool. I got a um, trivia question for you guys. Okay. What does LFO stand for? Uh, it, it's something. It's something weird. I thought it was something funky ones or something. I forget what the you first gotta have, word is. So light funky ones. Light funky ones. Light funky ones. Light <laughs> funky ones. Man, wow. And and it just it really just goes to show you that like you can't judge a book by its cover because you know it's like if you gave one listen to LFO you'd be like oh there's no way that like this guy would ever care about any of these great bands, but you know, you never know. You, you really never know, but uh, yeah, great taste. 
Yeah, he really did. But oh man, Inkwell was so good. Inkwell. So uh, and uh, another interesting thing I'll tell you about Inkwell, and then I'll, I'll lead us out. So um, the last record that Inkwell put out, uh, Rivers of Blood and Sadness. Um, this is going back, I don't know, probably 2007, 2008. And I was a big Inkwell fan. I think the only time I'd ever gotten a chance to see them was on a warp tour. Uh, and, and they played, but um, they had like a, this, that last record, which had like almost 20 songs on it. And they, um, it was on like either Facebook or MySpace or something. They were like, send us song titles. And if we like your song title, it will be a song title. Like we'll title a song. Mm. And um, for some reason I put, we should all buy thermometers. And that ended up being a song title on their that's record. Awesome. Yep. So that's a fun inkwell story, but yeah, uh, that's, that's probably number two. If, uh, if you can't get terminal and you can put out these stars are monsters, uh, I'll, I'll, I will buy it from you. I promise you. It's good I to will. know. I'd be the only one, but yeah, I probably, probably would be the only one. But you know, <laughs> listen, man, if I ever uh, hit the mega millions or something, I'll just be like, I'll just reach out to you and I'll be like, hey, I need a couple of records pressed. Can you just press me one? Just one <laughs> of each. Uh, but dude, Corey, uh, this has been like enlightening, man. Uh, it's so cool, first and foremost, just to talk to you, to get to know you a little bit. And um, it's super cool what you're doing. Um, I really, uh, like I said, it, just to get to talk to someone who kind of in my mind is very like brained with music um, has been like super cool, but um, I really wish you all the best and in, in success with near mint. Um, I'm waited, waiting with bated breath for whatever you put out next, because I'm sure whatever it is, I'm going to be like, Oh my God, I, that one. Yes. And I'm going to buy it from you. So you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll keep getting my money. I promise you. But, um, but, but yes, but seriously, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be on the pod with us, to give us some insight, uh, really cool stuff. Uh, all the best to near mint. Uh, if you want to just real quick, uh, if you want to just, you know, plug away and, sh- you know, shoot out your, your socials and your website and all that stuff, um, you know, not just for near mint, but for your, um, uh, for your artwork as well, just go ahead and, and, and drop some stuff and, uh, we will call it a night. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. It's been a good conversation. Um, as far yeah, I am working on more emo reissues, by the way, I know I've been doing a lot of hip hop stuff and I do want to say if people should check that out and not be discouraged by it because it's really cool stuff, but mm-hmm. my uh, socials are at we are near mint for Instagram and Twitter. And then my URL for the web store is we are near mint.com. And then for my artwork socials, it's at Corey Purvis. So yeah, that's basically it. Awesome. Cool. Awesome, dude. Excellent, man. We'll, we'll, uh, hopefully our, our listeners will go check that stuff out. And, um, uh, hopefully if we have listeners that uh, weren't aware of what near mint is doing, um, if I could get, a hundred people to buy that balance problems record from you. I, I absolutely would. Cause there are a hundred people who don't realize how good of a record that is like from track one to track 10. I mean, um, I, like it's just, talked about it's so beautiful. Many times. Uh, I hope <laughs> people will check it out. Yeah. I, I hope so. I hope, yeah. I hope people just check out any of this stuff and just, you know, kind of go back to the glory days of when this kind of music was, uh, was, was just really popular and, and, and a lot of stuff. And then I guess, um, I, I'm, I feel silly for not realizing this. And I only realized it when I saw your uh, little bio, but I didn't realize that, uh, Brack was, um, uh, a part of Sky Eats airplane. I had no idea. 
He was the original singer and I didn't know that. of that band. That's crazy. I didn't know that. I, I only knew him from from uh from the Balance Problems record. And uh, but I'm very, very excited for that. So uh thank you again uh for taking the time to be on with us. Appreciate you. And uh like I said, go check out Near Mint, go check out uh CoreyPurvis.com. And uh that's all, man. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks, Corey. I'm so having a good night, guys. records that I would press if I owned my own record label and called it bar down breakdown records. And who knows, maybe that'll be something that'll happen sometime in the future. If you know, we hit it big. Uh, so you guys really need to jump on all that DraftKings stuff and make us famous. <laughs> Dude, this conversation was super inspiring because every person who's into alternative music has probably a similar dream, right? Mm -hmm. Like to be able to be involved in the music scene in some capacity. And then like, here he is doing it, like living his dream. And we, we all can just like take, take a page out of his book and, and, you know, kind of like how we started this podcast. Like we probably have no right to do this, but (laughs) (laughs) we just took a chance and, here we are 128 episodes later, but man, I, I would, I would absolutely love to to start a record label. And, you know, when, when, whenever you start a small business or any business, there's always that risk, right? Like yep. you might put all your, your savings into something and then just, it doesn't take off. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of getting like trying to get that out of him. Like, tell me about the risk. Like, <laughs> like, how yeah. much did you really have to put into this to get it off the ground? Because mm-hmm. it, it it definitely does take a lot of time, but also takes a lot of money. To yeah. Start and what, something like this. Absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. What I found super interesting is how, you know, he kind of really did it in reverse. Like, I feel like the right way to do it is like you start by repressing records because the, you know, they have a built-in capability to sell. And then you take the profits from that and then start signing your own, your own bands. But he did it the opposite way. You know, he, he took a chance on, you know, a, a band like taking meds who are awesome. You know, we've had, uh, 
um, you know, our, our homie Nate from such gold on, um, you know, and uh, take meds as an offshoot of, of such, such gold. And, you know, he just kind of took a chance on that and started signing bands. And then I guess he realized, you know, there's maybe some more money to be made and a little bit less of a headache to, uh, to just do, do represses. But I, the other really interesting thing I found in the interview is just some of the business side of it, which, you know, we didn't harp on too long, but, you know, just knowing that, you know, sometimes certain labels that are defunct, you know, they still are, is a little bit more difficulty in finding ways to, you know, get their catalog and being able to get the rights to it and press it and all that kind of stuff. So I just think that's super interesting. And, you know, and it's so funny when he was talking about, you know, him having a, a relationship or, or at least, you know, having talked to uh, Stephanie and Richard from drive through and, you know, it's just like such a big part of our musical history uh, is all those bands on drive through records. I kind of have this, this feeling in the back of my, my like in my gut that um you know maybe in another four or five years drive through will do like 20th anniversary repressings of all of these like huge records that came out when we were in high school and i could see them make a killing off of that stuff man i mean you know imagine you know repressing the starting line records and the movie life and midtown and i mean granted they've all gotten their their represses along the way but i mean you know you do the 20th anniversary and put some extra music or demos or whatever on there. And I think that could be huge for them. Uh, I, I wouldn't doubt seeing that sometime in the future. I would love to see like a drive through records kind of festival that. Yeah. I mean, that would be cool. I mean, they had the drive through stage for, uh, for those yeah. warp tours. Right. I mean, you know, where it was like the early November, it's like first big tour and they were on there and Alistair and all those bands. That was a hell of a time, man. I think there's definitely a demand for it. If if you're saying like a something corporate and newfound glory and like all of those bands are coming back to to play like a kind of like what they're doing, like Sad Summerfest, where yeah. it's not as extensive as Warp Tour, but it mm-hmm. does tour a little bit. Yeah. I I think it would take off, man. I agree. So and everyone um, in the crowd just be old holding their kids and stuff. Yep, exactly. <laughs> All old, everyone filled up with sunscreen, just drinking water because, you know, they can't handle their booze anymore, which is uh, what I'm what I'm feeling today because I had some some booze. I went to a wedding last night and uh, I'm a little ripped up, but I have a very important question for you. What uh, what are you doing for the next eight years? Do you know? Well, if I'm Adam Pellick, I've been playing on the New York Islanders for yes, yes, five, sir, five point seven five mil per year, which Ooh. is a steal. Unbelievable. Um, I mean, I think that was probably for Islanders fans the the biggest issue uh, is just that nothing was was said, and then it you know turned out that he was trying to go to arbitration, and everyone was freaking out, thinking he was going to want seven or eight. Um, I, I can't think of his name, but some defenseman, I think out West just got like, Oh eight. yeah. Darnell nurse. Yeah. Right. He j- just got eight. And it's just like, you know, a lot of these defensemen are, I'm pretty are sure asking, it was nine, dude. Or was it nine? Jeez. I mean, asking for big money. And here we get Adam Pellick, who in terms of shutdown defense might be probably top three in the league. And we ended up scooping him for under six, which is just absolutely wild. And just a testament to, you know, what Lou Lamoriello is, is capable of doing. And I think, uh, 
that's a big thing for Islanders fans. And it's a big thing for understanding that with the rest of the cap they have left, they still have some signings to make, but you kind of have to think at this point that does open, uh, you know, the Islanders cap up for maybe, you know, getting a guy like Parisi on the cheap or, uh, uh, you know, figuring out a, a trade for Tarasenko and, and not having to worry about, um, you know, the blues retaining all of his salary or something like that. So I think some cool stuff is on the horizon, but other than, you know, Pelic, we've got, um, you know, Bavillier and Sorokin who the rumor and innuendo is they didn't go to arbitration. So there's deals in place is what they're saying, although they haven't been announced yet. And Palmieri has been very low uh, vocal about wanting to stay on the Island. And the rumor and innuendo is there's a deal there. Um, the only thing I haven't heard much about is, um, is uh, Zeker. So I guess he's really the the last puzzle piece here in terms of is he staying or is he going? But you got to figure, you know, uh, dude, like I said, he he's staying. Like yeah. it, of all of the ones on that list, like he was the UFA. Yes, he, he could have easily already signed with someone. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, the, the fact that he is staying put just makes me think that you know, and and that no one has signed him yet just makes mm-hmm. me think that there is a deal that hasn't been announced yet. I do want to just quickly talk a little bit more about the Adam Pellick situation just really quickly because yeah. earlier in the week, he was one of the names that was listed as, you know, filing for arbitration, mm-hmm. which made every Islander fan think like it was going to be seven plus like easily. Like we, we were thinking that the Islanders must have came at like him with seven mm-hmm. and his team must have denied it. And that's why they went to arbitration, but then yeah. we see the deal that comes out and it's like, wait, what were the Islanders initially offering him that his team denied that made them go to arbitration? Because yeah. it's way less than what we thought he was, his like going rate was going to be. And I guess maybe, maybe it ended up being length. Like maybe the Islanders offered him who knows, maybe like, six mil at five. And maybe Pellick was like, well, no, if you're offering me five, I want, you know, seven or eight. But, you know, if you give me long, long term, like seven or eight, I'm willing to work with you. And maybe that was the reason they were going to go to arbitration. And then finally, you know, Lou was like, okay, you know, you know, you're, you're young, you're, you're only going to get better. You know, we'll give you the eight, but we can only give you the eight at this. And maybe he was figuring, you know, security better than the extra money. Um, and who knows what's, you know, is in, in place in his contract in terms of bonuses, if the Islanders, you know, win the cup or if he's got, you know, points bonuses or whatever they put in there, who knows, you know? Yeah. I'm very curious about that yeah. just because, you know, the comparables, if he would have went to arbitration, mm-hmm. I, I think he could have gotten close to 8 million. Yep. Especially when you see, like once the Pelic deal was announced, like an hour later, Darnell Nurse's contract came. And yep. I think it's like 9.25 mil. Oof, per. Damn, man, that is, that is and, just. And he's very similar where he's like a defenseman, defenseman. Yeah, like exactly. He's a defense, defenseman. Yeah. So huh, we got lucky, man. So yeah. it, it does just make you think that maybe that extra money might be to like re-sign Pollock early. Could be. Could right? be. Because yep. what's the point of going going out and giving his defensive partner a long-term contract and, and not 
Pollock because Pollock yeah. had like one of those short bridge deals. Yep, exactly. If you're not going to sign him for an extension. And then the other thing too, you know, uh, who, who knows? Like you really never know. I mean, you know, the Islanders were, were truthfully just a, a hair short of, of, of really winning, winning a cup. I mean, you know, maybe in Pellick's mind's eye, maybe he was like, look, I'll take a little bit of less money because I know that this team is going to be a contender for years to come. You know, if, if I take a little bit less, you know, cause really at the end of the day, five, seven, five versus like seven, I mean, like you're, you're a millionaire regardless. Right. I mean, so it, whether it's six mil or seven mil, you're still a millionaire at this point and you're still making more money than, you know, 95% of the country. So I guess maybe what it comes down to is figuring, Hey, listen, you know, if I take a little bit less money, the Islanders will, will sign some, some heavy hitters. And I'll be raising a cup in a year. You know, maybe that's just just what 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 his thought process is. But who knows, man? You know, like I said, we're we're not the GMs. You know, we we trust Lou for all that stuff. But it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall in those meetings where you know numbers are getting tossed around and just seeing what's going on. And it would also be interesting to be a fly on the wall the next time our homie Corey decides what record to press. And if it's one of the ones that I recommended to him, <laughs> but um, we'll see, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think that what he's got going on is awesome. I really appreciate, you know, him taking the time to chat with us and give us some insight about the kind of the economics and the business of all that stuff, because, you know, you don't get an opportunity to, to chat about that every day. So I thought that was really cool. And um, so again, I, I, you know, as we always let you guys know, we, we appreciate you guys hanging on and listening to us. We uh, uh, are super pumped to be a part of the hockey podcast network and uh, they're doing great things. So make sure that you are sticking with them, checking out all the other content creators that are doing awesome stuff on there. Uh, Make sure to go listen to our uh, former guest pop punk playlist. We're always putting some new stuff on there. Um, Got uh, one of the new grayscale songs up there. That is super dope. Um, What else did we just put up? Another new home team song. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, which I dude. just saw. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I just saw the video came out for it, and uh, I'm 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 super pumped to give that a listen. Dude, it's it's three for three. So yeah, far. they're, they're so good. Single. They're yeah. so good, man. And um, but yeah, definitely go go check that out. You know, go go subscribe to that. Uh, subscribe to our podcast so you get them every Tuesday, so you don't have to go running around looking for them. They'll just be popped right into your Spotify or your Apple music or however you like to get your podcasts Uh, and keep an eye out. We've got some cool episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks. And uh, before you know it, guys, we're going to be, we're going to be in the preseason playing, playing some hockey. And, you know, then we're going to be full swing back into it, doing the dang thing. Uh, But it's been really great to be able to kind of stretch our legs and, you know, have conversations that haven't revolved around, hockey with some guests and it's been kind of eye-opening uh to you know get the perspective of uh you know some guests who might not be hockey fans but are still very passionate about their art and their music and their work so super pumped on that uh and uh last but not least make sure that you are going over to DraftKings and checking that out because the NFL season is right around the corner and uh like I said with what you know I've, I've never been much of a fantasy hockey as much as I love hockey guy, I've never been much of a fantasy baseball guy or basketball, but I do love me some fantasy football and the, um, and you know, the, the weekly fantasy football stuff that DraftKings does is super duper cool. I've done it a couple of times. You get to, you know, 
uh, pick a team that you think is going to feel the best and, you know, maybe win some money off of it. So go check out DraftKings as the football season gets into to full swing. If you are a football fan, maybe win yourself some money. So uh, on that note, again, thank you for listening. Thank you for Corey to being on. Uh, go check out Near Mint Records, see what's next on the docket for them because they're always putting out cool stuff. I cannot wait to get my Brighton record. I cannot wait to get my Daphne record and I cannot wait to get my balance problems record. So uh, you know that they will be part of Bar Down Vinyl Sunday as soon as I get them. So keep an eye. Uh, on that note, anything anything we forgot there, Mikey? No, man. You nailed it. Boom. Nailing Boom. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom. Well, I'll let you go and, and recover from your hangover. Oof. And yeah, don't miss those <laughs> days, sucker. <laughs> but uh, Tom, it's been real. Peace be with you. And also with you. Should